This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we talked about Canada Post. Big changes are possible at Canada Post with some research and surveys, privatizing portions, changing portions, moving some of the hubs. Postal industry expert Richard Geddes from Cornell University shares why Canada Post and other services are struggling to keep up with innovation. Turns out the Crown Corporation part could be a big part of it. How can Canada Post become profitable? What are the obstacles facing postal services around the world? And does this idea even work anymore? Handy Andy Barrar is going to help you turn your garbage fence into a real fence. He's using some repurposing of wood projects, flaws, and fraud in the worlds of NFTs, and so much more with Handy Andy Barrar. Plus, are you okay with playgrounds and ice fishing? This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for Are You Okay With? Are you okay with playgrounds Ooh, lovely uh when i grew up i thought i had the best playground in all of calgary and now when i go through neighborhoods they make my the one i grew up with look like a pile of garbage they're incredible now they've got like monkey bars times a thousand ropes in places that i never would imagine you could put on a playground like it's amazing and they look like art pieces it's a cool jealous i gotta say well i'm not um i was never a big fan of the playground because that's usually where someone was telling that they were gonna meet you meet you on the playground yeah um settled that being said though there was something always that was cool that you don't see anymore on the teeter-totter don't see those anymore that was always fun when you would Go flying down really, really hard and try to pop the other guy off the other end. That was good playground time. Well, I feel like oh, a lot of standard playground equipment is probably too dangerous for today's world, like the monkey bars mm-hmm. and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's probably not good. It should probably just replace the entire playground with just straight up padding. Just yep. a giant must wear a helmet pad. to yeah, use these. Yeah, yeah. Right. helmets, knee pads, shoulder. Remember pads. the beginning of COVID, where they started to rope off all the co- all the oh, yeah. uh, playgrounds, so you couldn't go play on a playground. Kids weren't out, allowed outside to play on playgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we got that one really wrong, hey? <laughs> yeah, it was rough L- learning curve. Just like we had to flatten mm. the curve, there was a learning mm-hmm. curve. <laughs> Right. There are lots of amazing things to play with and on at playgrounds. Uh, watch for the ones with the, with the, the black, like rubber mats. They'll burn your feet. Uh, but for some kids in San Francisco, or as the cool people call it, Frisco, they found a unique toy there. Jacob Ortega and his brother chasing this white rat Sunday evening at one of the two Civic Center playgrounds in the shadows of San Francisco City Hall. We just saw a big white rat there, came out twice to look at us. About eight inches long, white, like albino white, and, uh, you know, pink nose. I always like to look a lot of rats. (laughs) What? I have absolutely no idea. I tried. I listened to that 400, yeah, adorable. No idea what he said. Something about rats. Oh, the boys... These boys found a giant rat to hang out with. Cute one with a pink nose, though. But that rat wasn't the only rodent enjoying the concrete jungle gym. Other rats are also taking to this playground area in the latter afternoon hours. Two more under the chairs Sunday night, several Friday, including this rat that runs under an occupied slide, then under the entire play area before jumping into the bushes. Something doctors say is concerning. Rats can uh, transmit quite a few infections. UCSF's Dr. Peter Chin Hong says he wouldn't stop sending kids to a playground due to rats, but hopes that their parents use caution. Number one, wash your hands. Um, instruct your young kids not to like put their hands in their, in their mouths after running around that uh, potentially rat-infested area. Uh, that's KGO5 for the report. Can we just all agree that kids should not be putting their hands in their mouths after any playground? I did Let that alone the rat one. I did that a lot when I was really? a kid. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was really? terrible. I actually, I've never been good at that until COVID. Yeah, yeah. You're touchy, touchy with your face. Yeah, it's just I don't know. I'll let hmm. my immune system do the work, and now I'm afraid. 
Remember early in COVID when we weren't supposed to wear masks because it made us touch our face too much? Isn't that ridiculous? I'm just thinking back to all those old back when the directives we used to have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is stupid. Oh, oh man. Um, no word from the city of uh, Frisco. Oh, uh, That's the cool way to say it now. San Francisco. On if they're taking care of the rats that are enjoying the playground beside City Hall 2, city workers said the bushes at these playgrounds used to be trimmed very short, but not anymore. <laughs> um, ew. Yeah. Rats. I mean, like a stray dog or cat would be questionable, but rats, it's kind of weird, right? Because Shane and I, we live in Alberta, but there are no rats here. We're one mm -hmm. of what? I think two places on earth where there are no rats. I've yeah, never seen they have one like in my life. anti-rat patrols. I mean, there are rats. I mean, there are rats that they 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 like that they catch <laughs> trying to sneak across with a suitcase. But <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the um, but there's you know essentially no rats. Like I've never mm -hmm. seen one here. I remember seeing them in BC. Ooh, they're big <laughs> yeah. and ugly. Oh yeah. yeah First time I ever saw a rat was one of my dad's buddies were at a party. It was like a softball party. You know, all the parents were drinking, and there was a rat that came in the back. Of course, all the kids screamed and stuff. And then um, the rat was dealt with with a shovel. And then there was two half rats. Oh, 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 that was my, my first experience Whoa. with a rat. And I think it scarred me for life, actually. Yeah. You know where I would see a lot of rats? When I was delivering beer kegs to lots of places around town, Ooh. especially the really old ones when you like drag the keg downstairs to their beer cellar. Yeah, yeah just like, rats everywhere amongst really, the beer eh? kegs. Wow. The, uh, the, the back alley kind of old divey joints, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Wow. It's just so foreign to me. And I know that everyone who's listening in BC, for example, has had to deal with this at some point. But for me, it's just absolutely foreign. Amazing. Like, I don't know. To me, like the doctor says, it's not a big deal if you go to the playground with the rats there. And in my mind, I'm going, what are you talking about? What do you mean it's not a big deal? It's you don't go there. Oh, well, I guess I'm soft. Are you okay with ice fishing? I've never actually no, that's not true. When I was really, really young, my grandpa, there's there was an artificial lake in our neighborhood. It was a quite nice one. And my grandpa took me out ice fishing. I just totally forgot about that. I didn't catch it. He did all the work. And I think he caught a little one, put it back in. But it was neat. It was kind of a different experience. I, I like the kind of just set up in a little shack and get warm as you can and just wait for the surprise tug can't see anything it's it's, it's a very yeah i would i would say as a kid it was a little boring but i i would love to do it now with like with beer or whiskey fishing in a river is so cool like just Amazing. normal summertime cool fishing because you know you're casting upstream you got to reel in like it's active right um ice fishing is not as active bk have you ever been no, I don't think I'd be okay with ice fishing. I'd rather just go swim in a coral reef down in the tropics or something like that. That Good would point. be, yeah, I'll do that instead. Very valid. Ice fishing to me is fun. It's super awesome. I have two problems with ice fishing, maybe three. I mean, I realize you use an auger and you check the thickness of the ice, and that's how you know that it's safe anyway, because you need a hole to catch the fish through. So that works. The problems I have with ice fishing are driving a car across a lake. I have a hard time with that. I really do. Ooh. When my parents had a lake house up in Boyle, uh, uh, St. Paul was the lake house, St. Paul, Alberta. Um, the, the, there's all kinds of ice fishing on that lake, Lake Vincent, and the people would just drive. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's crazy. Like if you took a snowmobile or a quad, that to me seems okay. But if you're taking your car out, I have, I like, I, there's, I don't know. I got a thing there. Plus, those shacks, lots of them have a wood stove in them. And then you heat up the shack yeah. on the ice. Is it going to melt? It's terrible. Right? It's like, terrifying. I don't know. I, 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 clearly it's safe because people do it all the time. All but the time. these are, I'm just being honest, what goes through my head. Hmm. So when we're talking about ice fishing, I mean, there are two fundamental things that need to be there. One, one more than the other. Uh, ice. Mm -hmm. And the fishies need what? to have the fishies. And what does that lead to? Fish from fishing, but not according to one city mayor in Ohio. Nope. This is what he thinks comes from ice fishing. And if you then allow ice fishing with shanties, 
then that leads to another problem. Prostitution. Wow. <laughs> that went from zero to one. That's not what I was expecting. No. He went I thought he was going to talk about catch, catching ice cubes. Yeah. Or like a, a whale or a narwhal. But nope. Ooh. Prostitution. Wow. In a shanty. Here's some background on why the city is worried about prostitution in ice shanties, the little fishing huts that you set up out on the frozen lake. If you live in Northeast Ohio, ice fishing is as popular as snowboarding. Hudson resident Michael Whitaker has been fishing in this hole his entire life and didn't notice the sign that recently went up. I've been ice fishing here forever. Like there's like, this is a, this is my spot, you know. He told our Carl Bachtel he wrote city council to ask why it was banned. And he was surprised at Hudson's mayor, Craig Schubert's comments about the topic that even had the fish flipping. And if you then allow ice fishing with shanties, then that leads to another problem. Prostitution. A comment so shocking that even Council President Chris Foster's face tells the story that this could be a fishtail. And now you got the police chief and the police department involved. Still don't get it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, know where he's going. Let's acknowledge Henry's pictures he sent in of his ice fishing hut. And see, Henry does it right. He's got a hut and he's got a snowmobile. Henry, you're a genius. See, I could I could fish with Henry because he doesn't drive his car out there. Cool mm. fish, though. Very neat. Thanks for sending those pictures. 877-399-9898. Okay, so this ice fishing mayor has concerns about prostitution inside ice shanties. So where in the world is this coming from? It makes no sense. Whitaker isn't taking the bait. He knows ice fishing can be dangerous. You fish at your own risk. But the sport is worth fighting for. Because it's addicting. There's no reason that it should be this fun to catch four-inch bluegill through an eight-inch hole. And the mayor oh, should reel in his comments that ice fishing and shanties lead to prostitution. We are out there to get away from women. <laughs> Some of us. I don't know, man. Lydia Spira, 3 News. <laughs> Still don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I Yeah, so I think he was worried that if you allow people to set up shacks that they will bring prostitutes to the shack but no they want hey, fish earlier in the shift we were talking about love and i said to bk about you know what is your story about love and bk gave me a very good proverb that i should consider it was about projection and so i think that when we have this mayor uh -oh. who is searching for um people who take prostitutes to shanties maybe there was some projector oh great wise bk can you give us this proverb please uh sorry i was queuing up a song there what's just the proverb yeah the uh the projection <laughs> one from earlier <laughs> oh about raining in your about vibrations yeah i do a lot here uh raining in your uh, projections uh rain, yeah. raining them in it's uh yeah something you gotta when, when one rains in their projections everything becomes clear when they realize everything's yeah. coming from within so there you go i guess that's what i'm saying about this mayor that maybe he was just projecting his own habits or fantasies on these other fishermen. I think so. I mean, who thinks of that out of the blue, right? Seriously. It, he's, uh, he's, he's really reaching here. Or should we say reeling? Oh. 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 Wow. Um, the mayor one. quit, by the way, after oh, this. <laughs> because of this? Or was there... Yeah. Really? I, I think so. Um, here's the quote. My comments at Tuesday's workshop were made out of concern for our community. What could become of unintended consequences of new legislation? Based on my prior television news reporting experience, Schubert wrote, my attempt to inject a bit of dry humor to make a point about this in the midst of a cold, snowy February was grossly misunderstood. <laughs> he also made news last year when he called for school board members to resign over an optional book in college level class at Hudson High School. He called it child pornography. Uh, clearly, there is something else going on here. Yeah. Um, I'm, all right. I'm the king of dry humor, and I, I don't get it. I just yeah I don't get right it. maybe maybe it's a different kind dry ice humor it's just a different oh, thing we're not used dear. to I'm working hard here hey 
<laughs> oh, here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to the shift. I just don't understand it, man. I don't understand how you go from, um, I do like the comment about we do this to get away, um, not to include it, um, which is funny. So, <sighs> well, I guess I never thought of that. That's the way life goes sometimes. This is the Shift Podcast. There was an article that came out on globalnews.ca that talks about Canada Post. There's some changes proposed for Canada Post. They did a survey at Canada Post to find out what you wanted as a Canadian. Now, my opinion of Canada Post, I'm sure um, you are very familiar with, as I've shared here, is as a small business operator in Canada, Canada Post is the number one biggest handcuff for business. Now, that's not the same as getting your mail delivered to your house and all these other things that go on. So we thought we would dig into this a little bit. The research had basically had said that, you know, should they go to um, community mailboxes? 48% said that was uh, in the supporting column. Well, many neighborhoods already have community mailboxes, so there's a big layer of bias there. Should mail delivery be cut to three times a week? Um, yes, that comes in the good the, the good go for it column, according to the survey. Replace workers with machines. I don't know if you would feel great if your boss asked that question about your job. And close rural post offices was the biggest opposition in all of this. Just an example of a couple of the questions that we want to talk about here with our guest on the shift. His name is Rick Geddes. Uh, Geddes, he's an American academic specializing in infrastructure policy, um, policy analysis management, Cornell University. Uh, he's a male nerd, really. That's <laughs> what that post tells you. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm doing great, Shane. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, and thanks for helping us understand what's going on with this. Now, not so much about Canada Post, because if we only speak to Canada Post, we don't really under become that too narrow on our on our look at this, Rick. Mm-hmm. So we need to look at Post. Okay. What What is the state of Post? postage postal services around the world and and where you are too yeah that's that's a great question Shane so postal services uh, pretty much around the world have uh, faced the same fundamental economic problem and it's been going on for a long time and that's the uh, replacement of physical mail communications so mainly letter and card delivery uh, with electronic alternatives so this goes back actually to the telephone uh, but you know it's accelerating of course, since people communicate with email, uh, text, um, other, other f- in phone calls, other forms of, of communication. And um, the Europeans recognized this many, many years ago, in fact, decades ago, and they have reformed their posts. But what, what's happened, Shane, is the uh, uh, Canada Post, probably kind of similar to the United States Postal Service, where the bread and butter activity, and this is the, the service that makes the most money. Right, the service that's most profitable is first-class mail delivery, and that's really mostly cards and letters where you put a stamp on it and you put it in the mailbox, and the, the post person delivers it. Um, that that historically has been the postal service's most profitable class in the United States. First-class mail uh, volume peaked in 2001, and I checked the numbers recently; it's declined by almost exactly half. Uh, since 2001. And there's no, there's no surprise, right? So people really don't use cards and letters the way uh, that they used to. One interesting factoid chain is that they used to say, uh, well, well, wedding invitations uh, would always go through the post. You would always send a wedding invitation through the post. And of course, now what people getting married are doing is setting up a website for their, for their so they're, they're not even using it for that. But what's happened is we call it standard mail, uh, which is mainly advertising material, and it's highly discounted. So the Postal Service does not make much money off the advertisements. And I'm sure Canada is the same. A lot of your mail flow is advertisements, catalogs, uh, nonprofits seeking contributions. That mail is not really that profitable. That's on the revenue side. And this is a global phenomenon chain. It's not it's not just us. <laughs> so so the, on the flip side, to do what most people want postal services to do, 
And that's to deliver to essentially every address in their country a certain number of days per week. Now, the bill that's in Congress right now would codify six-day-a-week delivery in the United States to basically every address. Before, it was not, it was not codified in statute. Now it's going to be there. Um, but most, you know, so you have to maintain this high and fixed cost network. So you have to have sorting centers. You have to have trucks running around. You have to have people sorting the mail. They call it inward and outward sortation. To, to achieve that, uh, what, what the Postal Service calls its universal service obligation, it's USO. And, you know, every members of Congress love that because they can say, well, you get, you know, uh, mail delivery six days a week and rural people will not be left out and, and so on. But that's a high and fixed cost. You, you have to maintain this network to do that in the face of declining revenues, right? And decli- declining money coming in from your most profitable classes. And you can see where this is going to go. It's going to, to lose money. And the United States Postal Service has lost a tremendous amount of money, I think something like $70 billion over the past 10 years, because the basic economics does not work in its direction. And, and this, this, so this is the fundamental issue. Now, the Europeans were more uh, forward thinking. They could see the writing on the wall, so to speak, decades ago, that you would start replacing physical mail delivery. Electronic uh, communications would replace physical mail delivery. And we have to make adjustments to our old postal service, post offices. And by adjustments, I mean freeing them up. So just um, not necessarily privatizing. That's what people often go to first. But privatization has been um, less frequent, although Royal Mail, UK, they recently privatized. Years ago, the German Post, Deutsche Post uh, privatized. I understand some countries in South America. Are, are doing that. I think the Dutch too. So, but short of that, there's a whole lot of, of reforms you can undertake to, to allow these posts to become a little bit more entrepreneurial, right? To innovate, to become more flexible so that they don't lose uh, as much money. Australia Post has done this. One thing is to commercialize, and that might mean de- so that our postal service in the United States actually has not one but two monopolies. And by monopolies, I mean legally enforced monopolies. So, so it's criminal penalties for violating this. One is over the deli- delivery of anything defined as a letter outside of the mail. And when I say outside of the mail, I mean you don't pay postage on it, right? You, you know, if you, if you deliver, if I were to deliver you, Shane, you say, Rick, take this letter for me and, uh, you know, pick it up for me and deliver it to an address in Ithaca. If I were to do that, it, I would be in, and not pay postage on that letter. It would be a, a violation. The other thing is, wow. is in the United States, we have something called the mailbox monopoly. And that is the post, the United States Postal Service has exclusive use over your mailbox. Like you're not supposed to put party invitations or anything else in there unless it's been, you guessed it, st- postage and canceled postage, et cetera. Stand. Wow. Now, the, of course, the, the letter delivery is much more important. But the point is, Shane, is that our, you know, letter volume, as I said, has declined by half since 2001. The value, the importance of that monopoly has declined over time. So, so we should recognize market realities and allow these things to become demonopolized and to become a little bit more commercialized. And that means freeing up some of the regulations, right, that have done it. Um, uh, uh, that's that's one major reform. Um, they've done that in other countries. As I said, Australia has done that, and you you will see them. Be, you know, they'll they'll start to to um, maybe be a little bit more flexible on their uh, delivery days per week, speed of delivery, things like tracking. But they'll also be able to offer some new uh, products and services. You know, that'll that'll make them some more money. So I think one of the steps that we can talk, I'm happy to talk about actual privatization, which a number of, by that chain, I mean, actually selling shares, actually, you know, cor- ha- having a corporate structure. Some might call that IPO. accountability, actually. <laughs> right. right. Well, you're certainly accountable <laughs> to shareholders, right? If yeah. you do that. 
That, that, you know, well, so there's some questions here. There's some questions I have with all that. You've answered some of the questions okay. I have, which is really cool, Rick. Sure. I appreciate that. And some of the questions are things like, is this a government problem or an organization problem? And it seems like some really old ideas that are still at the forefront. And I, I'll, I'll add to this, that if I want to ship a package um, with anybody else, it's, it's way easier. Let's just put it that way. Amazon can have something flown to me in a day. Yep. Now, Keeping in mind, Amazon also doesn't have to deliver to every other house in the neighborhood right. on the same day. Right. So that gets me uh, look. And to your point about the the letter mail being cut in half in the United States, I looked up the cost of a postcard in 2001 at 20 cents and then in 2021 at 40 cents. Right. So if it's been cut in half, the fee has now been doubled. Right. So now inflation, I suppose, would dance in there too. So it seems to me like all of the basics are being taken care of. So how are these other organizations, when you talk about privatizing this, um, able to still succeed? And, and there's one big caveat that I'll put in there. Okay. And that is duty. When you, at least here in Canada, when I bring something into Canada, you know, FedEx, anything like that, I pay duty. I have to have mm. hire a brokerage or their internal brokerage to pay the duty with the taxes and stuff to bring it into Canada. Right. Um, but if I use the U.S. Postal Service... I don't have to pay duty because that's one of the deals, right? And so the postal service already has the head start of no duty, right? Extra costs. And still they can't seem to deliver like these private companies can. Why is that? I I think um, part of it is um, like you suggested, I I think I've been studying this a long time, Jane, as as you said, I'm a postal nerd. (laughs) And and I used to sort of blame the Postal Service. I used to say, gee, these guys, you know, are inefficient. And over time, I've come to the the conclusion that it's really the fault of Congress. And because Congress tells the Postal Service or almost mandates to basically do the impossible, right? Here's the rules in the United States. And I can tell you that, you know, the acts that, that got to us at this point, the Postal Service by statute is basically supposed to essentially break even. That means the fees coming in from rates, you know, postage rates, et cetera, are basically supposed to cover costs. At the same time, it has this six-day-a-week universal service obligation. At the same time, Shane, the 2006 Act capped the rate of increase. It's called a price cap. Uh, capped the rate of increase of its products. So, so it's it's they Congress really has it in a box because of these these sort of you know political not these are not business or commercial considerations these are are really business considerations so I think you've got that those constraints like you know you could say well post service should just raise rates to get more revenue so it doesn't lose money but then it hits the price cap and you say well they should they should cut back on service and Nor- Norway recently interestingly enough went to a rotating schedule where one week they do two days a week delivery, the next week they do three days a week delivery. Okay, so they're clearly cut lowering their costs. If U.S. Postal Service tries to do that, it hits the six-day-a-week universal service obligation, right? Wow. And so, so on top of that, in addition to that chain, it's been like this for, for centuries, right? So the, the postal monopoly goes back to 18, at least 1845. Actually, it probably goes back to earlier than that, when the British were running the, the, the post office or the horse post in the United States, they wanted to monopolize the mail because that's the way you communicated treasonous plans, right? And they were trying to keep the colonists, you know, from, from doing that. So the, the British monopolized. So it's, it's been monopolized since before the United States existed. And you have literally centuries of these sort of inefficiencies in management, right, that, that are built in. And, you know, of course, the, those two major postal unions in the United States, the National Association of Letter Carriers and the APWU, the American Postal Workers Union. And both of them are, you know, from a labor bargaining perspective, are pretty, uh, pretty strong. And, of course, they bargain for high wages and uh, issues related to working conditions and so on. So the Postal Service has these really high costs. So that's why they, I always say they're sort of caught between a rock and a hard place because they're facing these sort of market realities on one side and the demands of Congress on the other, right? Now, I would say Congress should do what many other countries, I think all 27 European Union member countries have now reformed their posts to allow more market forces, right, and business-like management to come in. 
And the United States is just way behind. So that would be my mm-hmm. long-winded answer, Shane. And it's, it's, it, you see it in the numbers. That's why the Postal Service is losing billions of dollars a year. But why is it so sacred? I mean, I just received a notice in my mailbox, final notice on a package to go pick up at the post office. And so then I... I phoned because it was the final notice had expired. Well, the reason why I found out about it, because it was put in the wrong box. So I phoned and the lady at the post office was very helpful. There's nothing she could have done. I was very frustrated. Clearly. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the letter was. And she said, well, I can tell you it was a letter because of the code registered letter. Okay. So, why is it that we rely on this incredibly clunky system that is inaccurate? I don't know. I had a registered letter delivered to my house that uh, the notice went in the wrong community box mm-hmm. and I never found out about it. So they sent it back. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 it's not successful. The current incarnation of Canada Post, uh, and many Canadians will attest to this, I've received even on the, the tracked packages, the technology just doesn't work. Yeah, The tracked packages... You know, to be delivered tomorrow, out for delivery today, unable to delivery today, next available delivery date next Wednesday. Like it, and then, then all of a sudden it shows up the next day. Like the technology's not there. Why do we look at this system as being so incredibly sacred mm-hmm. that we can't mess with it when it's just clearly not working? <laughs> that's, that's a great question, Shane. And I think a lot of that is, to your point, culturally specific. So, for example, maybe Canadians have, you know, have a different view in the United States, there is this history kind of of the Pony Express, you know, and, and uh, you know, delivering out west and, and so forth. Um, and it's in the Constitution. Let's be clear. It, uh, Congress has granted the power to create post offices and post roads. Right. So, so and again, going back to the early days of the Republic, you know, that was not just to deliver holiday cards to grandma. That was about national security. The way the way people should know. The word post office refers to horse post. And the idea was you had a probably a skinny guy and a fast horse with a bag, you know, a leather bag of mail. And he would ride to the next post as fast as he could and hand it off to the next uh, guy with a rider and then refresh the horse. And you had a series of posts. So that was the way you communicated letters quickly back in the day. And that's why Congress, I think, has granted this power. So, you know, it's it's in there. But now I think, Shane, what's happened is, you know, we, you, I'm sure you've heard from uh, many people that, uh, you know, things are politically polarized in the United States. But it seems like all, all the Democrats and Republicans can agree on is they don't want to reform the U.S. Postal Service. So the Republicans, it's universal service to rural communities, kind of to your intro statements. They don't want to close rural post offices. Every little town has its post office and it's kind of a sometimes a community center you know, and so forth. It's part of the culture. And I think Democrats, you know, there, there's a lot of jobs that are in this. And uh, the, these are, you know, uh, they pay very good wages and, you know, retirement benefits after 20 years and so forth. So there's just no political will, Shane, to, at least in the United States, you know, to reform it. I heard a member of Congress once ask this, like, why, you know, why doesn't the United States reform? Why are why are you guys putting up with this? And he said, it's just because we're too, we have too much money <laughs> because we, hmm. we can take, you know, uh, the post service losing five, $6 billion. One year it lost $12 billion. You know, people go, wow. eh, you know, so what? Right. But most countries would just say, what? $12 billion. You've got to reform this thing right away. And to some extent, I think, I think that's the right answer. Um, it's going to take, wow. it's going to take a uh, political will shame that I think, you know, we just don't have right now. But there's competitors now, yep. right? I mean, I get all that. And for me, I used to live in a small town. I can't imagine how you would send a package. And if in, we translate that to Canada, if they were to close post offices in small towns, anybody who's running a small business online, they're done. Anybody. There's no access. It's not like you can get FedEx a daily in some small town, you know, an hour and a half away. You, they, there's not. There might be a postal drop there that they pick up. Uh, from time yeah. to time, but then your rates are your rates have changed drastically, and the options have changed as well. Keep in mind, we don't have that five dollar box here, right? Like you guys have, like you could ship, ship four bricks in that box, pay five bucks oh. in the states. At least you used to have that box. Yeah. We don't have that here, so any package is upwards of fifteen, thirteen, fifteen dollars, just the minimum. Wow. Um, so you know, and Canada's sparse. There's less people. Um, right. I, I get all those things, and 
I guess I look at some of the way northern, you know, almost Arctic communities, you know, they need some sort of communication line to be able to ship things and get information. And, you know, it's I guess me in Calgary and you in Ithaca, not far away from the city, but still outside the city, we, we could make it work. But a lot of these people can't. Yeah. So, so that's a great point, Shane. And, and what some of us, uh, the postal wonks, have have pushed for is um, so, so Congress has has never they they need to take a serious step back about and think about what sh- what should universal service look like in the modern communication age, right? And a study. I don't mean just like mandating. I mean. We have the Postal Regulatory Commission in Washington. There's some good expertise on that commission, good staffers. And they should do a study of what is the proper level of universal service that we should have today. That's number one. And number two, how's Congress going to pay for it? In other words, instead of just telling the Postal Service basically to do the impossible, they should say, this, you know, be transparent. This is our decision about whether it's three days a week, Four days a week, Tuesday is actually the lightest mail day of the week, traditionally. So maybe you want to have it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then say, we know that there are certain communities where it's not economical to meet that USO. But we're going to pay for it. And we could actually, we could have a firm bid based on the least subsidy that they'll accept to provide that service. It's not bidding on how much money you'll get, but how much, well, how how small the subsidy is you're willing to accept yeah. it to provide that service. Which has got to be less than $12 billion. Exactly, exactly. It's one of the most inefficient ways to deliver the subsidy. So, so just have an open and honest discussion and say, look, we're not in the days of, you know, um, communications by, by uh, letter delivery back in the, in the uh, not, not quite the, the founding, but in the 19th century was newspapers. So you say it was binding the nation together. But what was binding the nation together was actually delivering newspapers to the frontier states so that they felt like they were part of the broader union, right? But we don't get our news with with newspapers delivered through the mail anymore, right? So let's revisit the universal service obligation. That's that's task one. And task two, figure out how you're going to pay for it so that you can ensure universal service in the least cost manner. And so that's... um, that's something some of us had hoped would be in the bill uh, that's currently being uh, con- has moving through the House, but is is not in there. But anyway, in answer to your question, Shane, that's how I would do it. If if the country says this is a value, we have these rural communities, we don't want them to lose their post offices, we don't want them to be cut off. This define clearly in statute what's the correct level of universal service, and then have a line item in the budget to pay for. So many people work so hard on the street, carrying the mail every single day. And I can't imagine how they feel when the government or the post office puts out um, a survey that says, what about replacing people with machines? Um, You know, they're working too hard, carrying heavy packages, uh, dodging dogs and slippery sidewalks to be able to do that. I just find that incredibly unfair for those people. I know that it takes me back to a couple of things to wrap up here. Um, you know, as we talk about Canada Post with Rick, Rick Geddes, is that the the reality for me is that when COVID hit and when the airlines needed help, there was help in Canada from the federal government offered to the airlines. Some took it, some did not. One of the, some of the caveats were, of course, when COVID hit, they shut down routes that nobody was flying and they were not profitable at all. And so they shut down those routes. Well, some of the caveats, of course, to the subsidies that came was... That's fine. You can have this money. These are the routes you have to f- fulfill regardless. That to me, especially when you look at all things in all businesses, and we can talk about um, tech sectors, we can talk about agriculture, we can talk about oil and gas. All of those sectors receive subsidies in some fashion. You can look at the um, the trains and train tracks and all of those subsidies that have always been there from the government. Every single one of those um, industries usually comes with a caveat. We'll help you, you help us. So I don't understand why this hasn't been included there. And then the other note, and because I'm a language and word nerd, you're the male nerd, I'm a word nerd. Um, I think it's time to change the name from you know the classic postal service to delivery. Because what has the opportunity that's been lost here is that in all of this, 
You know, we have Uber, Skip the Dishes, DoorDash, all of these Instacart delivery systems that are all out there for your groceries. Mm -hmm. And we have been sitting on the biggest resource and network of delivery in your country and my country, sitting there waiting to go to work. Mm -hmm. But you know what? Nobody said, are we a postal company that also sells stamps and coins or are we a delivery company? And could you imagine what this would look like, Rick, if all of a sudden those same delivery systems were used to get your your groceries? Yeah. Like it could change everything. Yeah. And there's that's that gets to the point, Shane, where you have to you have to deregulate or you have to commercialize, free it up. Because right now, at least in the United States, it's it's over it's so heavily burdened by these regulations. And part of that stems from the two monopolies I discussed. Because if you, if you grant the thing a legally enforced monopoly, you can't say, hey, guys, go at it. Here's, here's the legally enforced monopoly. The flip side of the coin chain, to your point about, about it being you know, transactional, is you're going to get regulation, right? So I say that monopoly on first-class mail is almost worthless at this point because so few cards and letters are in the mail stream. Free that up, right. but then on the flip side, let them make contracts. They have all these little trucks running around anyway. Let them do more contracting with the private sector. And, you know, that that would benefit everybody. But again, that needs a major reform of the regulations, I think. Well, I would just uh, not necessarily for debate, but just put this out there. In this world where we are getting um, eco driven down our throats, I more align with the let's be more responsible uh, and make sure our kids have a future sort of way of thinking. But if you only think about it from fuel and trucks and people, imagine how much we could save in being more responsible and eco in the future if we actually utilized our networks properly. I mean, competition's great. I'm a capitalist. But the reality is, is that we would be so much more efficient if we actually used the trucks and filled them up as opposed to having trucks that were empty running around all over the place. It's a crazy notion. Amazing. Well, this is insightful, Rick. I I really appreciate uh, your expertise with this. Um, and setting in and helping us understand what we're not alone in this, clearly. No. <laughs> uh, not alone. No, the whole world. Um, do you think it's going to change, though? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's going to change anytime soon? Uh, I really had hopes for the current bill. Um, you know, I could tell you more that it's, it basically shifts $50 billion off the balance sheet of the U.S. Postal Service and puts it on the taxpayer. And I had hoped that, you know, in return for that, we would have gotten some serious reform. But unfortunately, that's not in the bill, Shane. Uh, my guess is it'll go through the Senate without, without any uh, real debate. So, so I think we missed a real opportunity here. Uh, but I hope it's you know Congress revisits this, and it's, mm-hmm. at some point it you know they have to do some reform because it, the current the current arrangement is just not economically sustainable, and you know letter letter card and letter revenue is going to continue to decline. So at the very beginning of this conversation, Rick, I gave you those questions. Replace workers with machines, raise postage costs, deliver mail three times a week, end home delivery, community mailboxes, close rural post offices. Are those questions that would make you excited uh, to be asked in the United States like they're asking them in Canada, or are they the wrong questions to be asking? I think some combination of those, Shane. I I think um, there's ways that you can improve efficiency without mass layoffs. Um, right, without replacing workers with machines and having a lot of workers go. Maybe you won't hire as many workers go, you know, going forward to replace. But there's a lot of efficiencies in, in the technology, but also in management methods that, that private sector delivery. You mentioned Amazon, right? You know, how, they, how they've got it down. But there, there's FedEx, there's United Parcel Service, there's DHL. You know, there's these companies that really have logistics down to a science. And, you know, you could implement a lot of those methods and make the whole operation more efficient. And I think you could do that without mass layoffs, right, uh, just through attrition retirements and, and attrition, et cetera. Uh, and I think that's, that's something in addition to some of the things you said, right, which is mm-hmm. reducing delivery days per week. Some, some uh, services have, should be delivered quickly, others more slowly, maybe increasing some new product and service offerings as well. So that's, that would be some combination of those. I think it's funny because I know here, if I want to return a package to Amazon, I send it through Canada Post and they still <laughs> haven't caught on what, they still haven't caught on the gold mine that they're sitting on. Yep, uh, thank you so much for this. 
Yeah, right? Isn't it, uh, isn't it so true? Thank you so much for the time, Rick. I really appreciate it being here and sharing your insight of what's going on in postage. Not only here, we learn. I feel like this is an episode of that TV show, How It Works, you know, how it's made. Like, <laughs> get to see inside the inner workings. This is cool for me. Thanks, Thanks Rick. for inviting me, Shane. Good to be on. This is the Shift Podcast. Uh, Ken is in Kelowna. Ken, when looking at the hey. Crown Corporation that is Canada Post, uh, is it working for you? No, it's not. But there are some efficiencies that they have done, but not, I didn't even know about until recently. Like they, I didn't know they owned Pirillator. They bought yep. Pirillator some, some time ago. And yep. then yep. you're talking about you know the Amazon returns and such. Well, uh, I met a fellow in Calgary who buys the Amazon returns, but he tells me that the what happens is when they drop it off Canada Post, but it goes to a central sorting depot, and then it gets held there and gets stopped up in the shipment. So they actually go all the way back to Amazon's warehouses. They get yeah. uh, stopped, and then they end up selling them off in pallets. Of yeah, it's uh, a pallet. It's like a, you buy a you buy a per pallet. You never know really what's in it. Right, right, and then they and then they end up just selling it on Facebook or something like that locally. But yep. It saves on the shipping, and I can see that. But, you know, Canada Post is a general rule. It doesn't work anymore. I mean, we stopped shipping packages years Well, actually, when, Canada, when um, Greyhound stopped um, shipping, we stopped send, sending Christmas parcels and things. It was way easier to drop ship something somewhere because, you know, it, it wasn't efficient, and we never could get it on time unless we sent it months earlier, right? Yeah, that's so interesting. Ken, I'm going to ask you to adjust. I think you're moving around or something, and the mic is getting a little bit muffled. So I just want you to, because you are clear a little bit and then muffled a little bit. So can you just adjust your phone there as you continue telling me your thought? Yeah, you bet. I Sorry, I took it Oh, that's so good. There you go. Beautiful. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was one of those things that we thought it very inefficient. Um, you know, my, my wife actually does take the time to write cards online but sends them through a, a card delivery service and that gets done several weeks before christmas so that it doesn't actually get missed right it usually shows up early december because we do it november right right but def- definitely not a um what do you call a dependable service for us to use and i look at how they do it even now it's the last couple of years of covid you know, we would have parcels or somebody would send a package to us. I mean, grandma and grandpa, they're still doing it because that's the way they do it, right? That's right. And, yeah. you know, we get we get them, but they don't even stop at the door anymore. They just they just uh, slip a tag on our mailbox or, or something that says, and we have to now go to the local, you know, um, postal center at Shoppers Drug Mart to go pick it up. It. I mean, yeah. they're supposed to deliver to the door, but they just don't. You know, they don't yeah. want to have that contact. And, yeah, and that's you know, that's that's so true. I I get that experience too. And um, and in defense of Canada Post, I've had that experience with some of the larger uh, courier companies. Now FedEx has a local depot at Staples now in in the city I'm in. But before, if you missed the FedEx guy, you used to have to drive all the way to the airport to the FedEx depot to get your package. So they've figured that part out with the local depots there. And I don't understand. I mean, in the community mailbox, they've got a bigger box that they drop a key in. And so then you open up the key, you open up your box, and there's a key in another box. And then you have to open up that box, and then there's your package. You drop the key back in the slot. So they're starting to figure some of the things out. But it, I, I don't know, Ken. Like, it, it just, I think they're hanging on to it. it's such an old idea at this point. Well, it is, you know, although it's interesting because, you know, I've gotten to know our mailman over the years. And, and now, I, you know, I've seen him driving a truck off and on for the last, you know, six or eight months. And I know he likes to walk. I mean, it's one of the reasons he liked the job. But now, because of the way they're doing, they are actually sending a lot of packages. So they, they determine based on your route for the day how many packages, like parcels, are being delivered, whether he gets to walk or, or drive that day. Um, so it's not always a consistent thing. So I think they're making some changes, but they're really slow to, to evolve. And I don't know how, how quick they can make that with the structures that they have to work with it. I mean, they've got their contracts and the union, yeah. and I'm sure that plays a big part in it, but doesn't make it efficient for us as a consumer. No, it doesn't. And I'll tell you another thing with Perlator that there was a time when Canada Post went on strike, and because Perlator was owned by Canada Post, Perlator stopped accepting new business registrations in support of Canada Post. So if you were a Canada Post user and then all of a sudden they go on strike 
and they couldn't deliver, you would go to Perlator. They'd be like, yeah, we're not taking new business applications because of, uh, so, I mean, so then they've really got you handcuffed for delivery and that doesn't seem right either. I mean, we still have, you know, DHL and we still have, you know, a couple of them, like you say, you know, FedEx has stables here, but if we don't get it there, we have to go to Lake country and deliver it out there uh, mm-hmm. to the depot if we wanted to get out. But when you, if you're, if you decide to break down Canada post, if you will, um, what does that give us as options? You're back, you're back into people being forced hand. So it's kind of, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But it's really difficult to try and figure out unless they're going to innovate how they're they're going to make it uh, even close to viable for us to consider it. Well, and you you say your relationship with the mailman and how special is that? I mean, that's what I figure that we just can't lose in today's world. It's so important in a sense of community. Uh, I still think that delivery, though, in general, I mean, when you talk about the network that Canada Post has for delivery, they're missing such amazing opportunities. When you look at these private billion-dollar now companies that are doing delivery of food and all of these things, we had that network. It already existed. It's just that nobody was thinking outside the old mentality of the postal box. And uh, and here we are. So, Ken, thanks so much for the uh, contribution. Appreciate you calling in. Okay. Gary is in Edmonton. Gary, you work for Letter. Yes, I'm Gary the Mailman. <laughs> Great. I love it. Gary, tell me um, what you can, your thoughts about about all this stuff. How important is the postal service to, to the people? Uh, well, okay. To send a letter up to, let's say, Yellowknife, what does it cost? A dollar seven. Uh, but yeah. if you privatize the companies... It's going to cost more than that. Yeah. Um, as a letter carrier, uh, like uh, I do drive a vehicle, but we mm-hmm. were walking before. Right. And so you did have contact with everybody. Uh, I can, in my past 35 years as a carrier, uh, I can count probably at least seven times where I actually probably have saved somebody. Oh, interesting. And... Uh, uh, various other things. Like, there's too many points here to <laughs> really to. Uh, well, I really would like to stick us to the post, but uh, now there's too many points. To yeah. Cover. So it's 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 yeah it is and it's it is it is a big conversation. I hear you, Gary. The the thing that we we sort of run into though is you know uh, guys and gals like you that are working every day for their jobs. I mean, this matters. It's an important part of our society. And it seems to me to be a missed opportunity by the uh, the higher-ups when not taking advantage of what the world needs and still sort of sticking to this to this old... And they're handcuffed, right? You talk about, you know, yellow knife. I mean, that's a good example of why it's expensive and why it costs money for Canada Post. But it must be heartbreaking at times to see some of these decisions. I mean, you know, Gary, that when those letters are arriving, some of them, you're delivering them in the first day that they're in your hands. You're doing your job. But some of them took two weeks to get there. And that's... I would... I'm not saying that they're lying. (laughs) That's probably a rare case. I, I bet you... Like, I've delivered mail, I mean, letters that arrived the next day and somebody had sent someplace else, you know, yeah. let's say from Toronto or something like that. It depends, like, the major centers. You know, that's where, uh, you know, let's say Vancouver to Edmonton, those are major centers. So you, your mail is sort of traveling less, faster. But if you're going to, I, I don't want to say Kelowna is not a major center, but... Yeah, it, it yeah goes, it's not Vancouver. Like, it, it, so the mail probably goes to Vancouver, then gets started there, then it goes to Kelowna. Right. But I, but I, at the same time though, Gary, like I sent a letter from here in Calgary to Andy in Vancouver and it's been more than two weeks now, two and a half weeks. It's just large letter mail. That's it. Not there. <laughs> it depends on the letter carrier too, I tell you. Yeah. I I, I'm saying that some carriers don't give, don't care. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. as myself, uh, 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 I knew every dog, every kid on my route. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, but I mean, like, there's too many points to make out, you know, like, there's pros and cons. Yeah, there is. There is. It's not perfect. I mean, I'm grateful for it. I, like, I don't want to sound ungrateful for the service. I'm grateful for it. And I'm really grateful for the hard work that people that do it. Like, the, the person who went with my registered letter that, that went missing, the, um, the lady who answered the, the call, she was great. And because I do business and I have a business post office box, the folks that work at that post office box, they're amazing. Just the system itself doesn't seem to get caught up. Thanks so much for the the call, Gary, and and I'm glad that you're still working it and working hard after all this time. Thank you. 
This is the Shift Podcast. You ever see that guy who's driving down the road and they've got like fence panels in the back of the truck, but they don't quite fit and they're sort of tied down, but they're not really tied down. And you're like, I'll never want to be that guy. He's got these rotten old fence panels that are almost falling out of the back of the truck. Guess what? We've got that guy. He's right here. Let's get started with Andy. Handy Andy Barrar and uh, Disco Andy, as I like to call him here on the shift, handyandymedia.com. If you want to check out his website, please do. And his YouTube channel, subscribe to that because then you can follow and get a little email update every time that something uh, happens. Uh, okay, bud, you are that guy who's uh, collecting all the old fence panels. What's going on? Stuff is happening, Shane. It's, you know, spring is around the corner. After last year of, of building all of these raised garden beds, I ran out of lumber, of reclaimed lumber. So by, by chance, my friend just messaged me one day and he's like, are you home? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And I'm like, well, what's going on? He's like, um, I was working on this site and I'm putting new fences in. This lady had all these old fences. They weren't painted. They're cedar. Do you want them? And I'm like, obviously. He's like, that's why I'm coming over. I need you to help me take these fences out of my pickup truck. And so sure enough, he had them all up in his truck. We took them down. I've had them on the side of my house. And then uh, it was Super Bowl Sunday yesterday. So I thought, you know, I could be at inside eating, watching football, or I could be outside working, taking these fence panels apart so that I can make garden beds out of it. And so while I was doing it, I decided to make a video to show people the kind of a behind the scenes look of what my life looks like when you're trying to use reclaimed wood. And so you can see that on my website right now, handyandymedia.com, or you can go to the Shift Facebook group at uh, theshift.ca to see this. But I highly recommend it. These old fence panels, I'm going to bring them back to life, Shane. Just watch. What are you going to use them for? Is it going to be the gardens or what's the plan here? Yeah. And so you can actually see in that video what I plan to do with it because uh, last year I made some of these raised garden beds um, with cedar panels. And so I'm basically going to do the same thing because as we've talked about, I'm obsessed with creating a self-watering smart gardening system. And I got the system, Shane, I'm happy to say I got it up and running. So now I just need more garden beds because I calculated I could have up to 20 different zones of self-watering. So I'm, I'm basically just on the hunt for lumber that I can use to make more garden beds then I'll get me some manure, get some soil. I got the seeds. I already got the plants growing in my greenhouse too. Yeah. So it's all coming together, Shane, finally in 2022. That's my um that's my next question for you is how's the greenhouse going because you do have it started. You got a couple of inches on the sprouts there. What's what do you got in there? Yeah, so so basically if people follow me, they'll know that in my kitchen I have kind of this vertical garden where I can start germinating seeds. And after a certain point, once they, they got little plants going, I'll then trans- or move them outside to my outdoor greenhouse. And, and that's great around this time because even though it's cold outside, it stays relatively warm inside there, especially if there's sun. So on Sunday when I was working, I checked and it was 20 degrees in there. So I, I had all the plants. I moved them out there so they can climatize to the weather. And uh, I'm, yeah, I got a lot of plants going. I have like 21 tomato plants, 22 Mm -hmm. of these like green pepper. I got a lot of plants. So my mom is in in for a treat because I'm going to come to her house with just a tray of plants that she can put in her garden, which I also built last year. That was a great project, the raised garden bed for my mom so she doesn't have to bend down. Um, So this year I'm really going to stock her up with some some nice vegetables um, that I grew from seed. Do you grow your marijuana all year or only in the summer? Uh, just in the summer. So I had to, funny you mentioned that. So I also bought uh, some seeds online from some guy in Nova Scotia who has a, I guess, a genetic uh, farm for that. And so I ordered four of them, Shane, and I got six. So oh. I thought, okay, maybe he got, gave me two more in case some of them didn't germinate. But all six did. So that means I got two extra ones, which I'm going to barter with my my uh, blueberry farmer Blueberry buddy. guy. Yeah, and I'm coming back. Well, I'm not giving up on these blueberries, and now I got some leverage because I know he'll take pretty, those uh, plants from me. 
probably a good time to let you know that this is a national show and I think you legally are only allowed to have four. So let's start bargaining. Yes. That, that's what, yeah, exactly. I'm, what am I going to do with two seeds? I'm not going to throw them away. You know, obviously I'll, right. I'll give them away or, or barter for well, some blueberry let's bushes. Let's not be reckless. Let's not be reckless. Yeah. So I had a question for you. Since you're talking about reclaimed wood and you're talking about all these DIY projects before we get into more of the gadget uh, stuff. So I rent this townhouse. I have a postage stamp of a front lawn, and I have a dog now. And so um, this dog uh, loves to look out the window. And every, because I don't have a yard currently, every single time, X number of God knows how many times a day, I have to go walk the dog. And I, I'm lucky because my my townhouse, the back is a double-attached garage on a paved laneway. That's the street. The front is actually on a path. So there's no street on the front of my townhouse. It's a walking path. So uh, the city of Airdrie has these, in all the uh, dog parks and stuff, they put the um, they put the posts with the bags and the poop things. And the poop guy came today and picked up the garbage can and emptied it and everything else. So it's fantastic. But every single time that she needs to go out, we have to take her out. And that's obviously cumbersome. And she likes to sit outside and, and watch. I need to build a fence. I don't want to put in a permanent one. I can do that. I can ask my, you know, my landlord and, and just cement in the posts and, and build a fence and do it that way. But I don't know if I even want to go that far. I think that what I want to do is I want to build a temporary fence that's surface sitting, looks like a picket fence, but that's um, with stakes or something um, fastened down so it doesn't slide, but is a legitimate looking fence, but temporary because I figure that way I can reuse it. That way I can take it and offer it to someone for free or sell the panels or something down the road. How do I do it? Want to do it? Will well, you do it? Well, come on, first, do it. Want to come here? Well, you can come here. Come on, build it for me. I'll play you know, this music. I wish that, you know, I think that's my dream is to be like, do like the handy Andy house calls where like they have a camera crew and, <laughs> and I just go in there and see if I can figure out and solve people's problems because right now I'm just solving issues that I come across uh, in my yard. But my question for you on this one is, does it have to be made out of wood or can it be made of other material? Well, I would like it to look polished like a proper fence. I've sort of looked at um, snow fence and those kinds of fences and thought I could just put stakes in the ground and I can do this. I can just put stakes in the ground and make a, a fence out of like a safety fence or a snow fence and have it be done that way. But I do want to have a proper gate. I want to be able to come in and out. I mean, it is the front of the house, so packages and whatnot. I don't want it to be complicated for someone to come in and out of. Yeah. So it, it gets a little tricky because if you want a gate, you know, the gate moves back and forth. So you do need some type of post or something in it because of that. Um, otherwise, you know, if you go to Home Depot, they have that mesh stuff that, and you could probably use some stakes and and set up a little perimeter around there just so you get that peace of mind knowing that you can let your dog out over there and he won't get away but uh the other thing is just if you go on like this is what i do as i always like search facebook marketplace for like reclaimed wood or and stuff and you could probably build one from that even a nice couple pallets you know if you can get the, the, those materials off those you could actually use and kind of just build the frame out of it using two by fours and then just put temporary stakes on the ground to to do it. But I, the the issue is Shane is that when you want it temporary and you want it to look good, that's where you run into troubles because it'll probably get expensive at that point. But you can get well, material to, to make it. It's hard to level, know. right? It's hard to keep it all level when it's temporary because you know with the posts in the ground, that's a lot easier. Right? There's a couple of ideas that that have come. Of course, you can get. Um, you can use like a wire fencing and build just like a, a basic rectangle box and then have stakes that you pound in the ground and just tie those together. I mean, that that's one idea that I had. But lattice was another idea was to yeah. do lattice. And I looked at, I did look at um, pallets to dry strips and pallets, but it's so much work to it get is. the number of boards I'm going to need. I'm going to spend so much time getting rid of the junk bits that, um, you know, because you might get three or four off of a pallet that are actually in decent shape still if you're not using the pallet just as a pallet. So that's a lot of work. And I, I don't, so I was kind of hoping that you were going to just save what? the day here. Lumber is still like pretty expensive. I was at Home Depot the other day and a two by four, an eight foot two by four costs like 740. So that's still quite high. Really? And it went down and then it went back up. So this is why I'm, I'm on the hunt for all this reclaimed wood chain. And like you said, even with pallets, it takes time to take it apart. But at some point, the cost of lumber gets so high where you're just like, 
I think I'll just get up early today and uh, take those pallets apart because, you know, that's the pro everything's expensive these days. So even this little project of yours, it'll cost you, a, you know, a fair penny to, to do it right and to make it look nice too. Thanks for listening to the shift podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify and curious cast.ca. 